with all my friends. Come along with me, see how the story ends. Welcome back to another episode of Professional Hippies. I'm talking to all you hippies out there, maybe professionals. Hey, have you ever found yourself in a tough spot where you feel like you don't know where to go, what to do, but you know that you're capable of more? Our guest today is someone that I think might be able to speak right into you wherever you're at. Today's guest is a man that has overcome prison, heartache, and self-imposed headaches to become a leader for men or for those in recovery, and most importantly, those wanting to build back into the max version of themselves. We have a returning guest, none other than my brother, Kel Meevern otherwise known as Max Strong. If you're on the interwebs, you might have come across a couple of his videos. And before we get into uh, a little about his story, if you didn't catch the first episode, feel free to go back and check that one out. That one's going to give you some context for what he's gone through <laughs> to get where he's at today. If you'd like to watch this episode, you can watch it on Spotify or YouTube. Click right into your browser and... Uh, this episode is also brought to you by Norspore. Norspore is a leader in mycology and mushroom supplies. If you are an expert in that field, or if you're looking someone to be someone to break into that field, um, head on over to our Instagram. We'll have a code for you to um, support the podcast, but also support yourself in any supplies or any endeavors. They have a ton of research. Uh, they are just incredible. Can't speak highly enough on on uh, the products they have to offer and the education and the resources they have to offer. So, um, all that being said, Kel, how you doing, brother? I'm doing fantastic. You know, I never thought that I would ever hear my youngest brother sponsor another mushroom company, right? <laughs> <laughs> but here, you know, you talk about Norsport. Like ten or fifteen years ago, for me, it was it was myofungal. Right was the name of the company that I, know. and I remember being a part of a uh, forum, and I think it was called Mycopia, right? Mm. Uh, you know, like you know, Utopia Mycology coming together, right? So mm -hmm. I just, I hope I taught you well, bro. <laughs> <laughs> well, from some of the latest science experiments, I would say they've they've done they've done pretty well, <laughs> not too bad. <laughs> <laughs> so you remember we had the horse barn out back and I don't know if you ever knew, but we had some aquariums that were in the barn's attic and there were no kidding. several styrofoam coolers also. And I would take, um, buy, <laughs> I would take rye seeds, right. And I would make a substrate cake out of that, but I was just using cow patties. This is before I really knew what was going on. And man, you're talking about like the humidity of Florida coupled with a barn, right? And a couple of aquariums that were just open to the elements, but with cow patties and grass, we had it going on, Bubba. <laughs> yeah, you're also probably growing some stuff no one's seen before, too. I mean, it was probably getting funky in there. Yeah, definitely. Absolutely, man. Yeah. That's were some good old days, dude. Well... <laughs> Awesome. We've talked about some of your good old days. Why don't you bring us up to speed with uh, these good old days? Because from the last time we've had you on, this is something we were talking about before we got on air. 
from the last time we've got you on to now, um, there's there's been quite of a transformation, wouldn't you say, since since then to now? It, yeah, absolutely. You haven't stopped, right? I mean, that was just a year and a half, two years out of prison. So I've been out of prison now for almost four years. Um, still clean off of any hardcore drugs, no meth, no heroin, no pills. Um, I've drank one time. I had a daiquiri or a margarita. I don't even know which one it was. Um, that's probably all, a pina colada. Uh, that's like all the drinking I've done in four years, you know, and it's just not part of my lifestyle. You know, drinking is not going to help me where I'm trying to go right now. Um, if it does, I, you know, I'd have a cooler beer sitting beside me right now. But I don't believe it helps anybody in achieving that which they're setting out to do for their for their lives, you know. And so I just can't honestly sit here and I, I can't. I can't see myself doing something that's not going to be beneficial to me, nor the people that I'm trying to make an impact on. Right. And so aside from that, though, <clears throat> you know, pretty much been clean and sober for the last four years. Uh, but I think the last time we, uh, we did this show, right. I was in the middle of my bodybuilding uh, career. Right. And so I believe I was on quite a few chemical substances like, Trimbalone, Anadrol, Arimidex, testosterone, probably Sustanon at that time. Who knows what I was on at that time? And uh, and and I'll tell you, man, it's um, it's been a breath of fresh air and a very more comfortable, easy way of living without those chemicals in my life. You know, and I'm grateful and thankful for being able to make it out of there without that lifestyle consuming me and eating me up. Like I see it due to so many people, man. It does. Hmm. What do you, what would you attribute to being the moment? Cause I mean, I think different, different decisions serve different folks and, and wherever they're at in life. Right. But for you, it seems like there was a moment where you decided, Hey, alcohol is a waterfall type of event for me like that sets in motion a certain amount of decisions that just aren't leading me in the direction I want to go so you can speak to that but I'm also I'm just really genuinely curious like when did it click like what what was the deciding moment because I mean a lot of people could look at you spending what a third of your adult life in prison and saying like yeah at some point maybe it just soaked in but was there a moment where it clicked or was it more of a... No, there was a moment. There was a moment it clicked. <clears throat> so I used to be the wine man amongst many other hats that I wore in prison at my last camp. And so every nine days, I would cook anywhere between eight to 10 gallons of wine. And I mean, even the officers knew what I had going on and they were cool with it. You know, you're just, it's just alcohol. You know, it's not hard. It's not heroin, fentanyl. Uh, synthetic marijuana, which is making everybody go crazy. They're just like, you know, do your thing, hang out, chill in your room. Don't beat anybody up. Well, I beat somebody up pretty decent this time. I got hammered drunk. And uh, it was my roommate, as a matter of fact. And uh, he came in smoking that silly weed, made him go crazy. And I'd already told him, if you do that and you come back to this room, there's going to be problems. Well, I was liquored up. And uh, so I beat the dude up pretty bad. But what really set it off is that I went back downstairs and I jumped on the phone and I talked to my girlfriend at the time and I got real, you know, real shitty with her. <clears throat> the following day, 
she replayed what I had said to her. And I told her, I said, you don't deserve that. I'll never drink again. And that was the last mm. time I drank. You know, it made me realize that I do things to other people as well as myself that they don't deserve. And I don't deserve it either, right? Because, you know, it's funny. I heard somebody say one day that uh, a drunken mouth speaks the truth of the heart, right? And I was like, no, what happens when you get drunk? You say shit that you regret the next day. That, that's all that happens, you know? So I'm like, so I don't need that in my life. Mm -hmm. Never understood that when the people are like, you know, the, the truth comes out when you're, when you're drunk. I've been drunk and I've said some shit. And the next day I'm like, I didn't mean any of that shit. What the fuck? <laughs> I'm like, that's just me being an asshole thinking I'm yeah. right. You know, I'm saying blue is red and red is green. You know, or whatever. better yet, you start planning these elaborate future events or business ventures you're going to do with folks at parties that you don't give a fuck about, that you have no intention ever hanging out with again. But you're like, yeah, we're going to start that t-shirt company, man. Like, how, why aren't more people putting drafts on t-shirts? You know, there's a why, ha here. why happy face, sad face, sad faces. <laughs> why don't we do that instead? Yeah. yeah I don't rest of that. Yeah. <laughs> So, um, before we go anywhere else, how are you making alcohol in prison? All right. Several different ways, but the best way, the best mode to make an alcohol in prison is with tomato paste, sugar, water, and yeast or bread. However you want to do it. So but bloody Marys are what you guys are getting down what? on. <laughs> You'll get the yeast from the tomato paste and you can just kick it up another notch, but just those three ingredients, tomato paste, water, and sugar. That's it, man. That's all you need. They call no fruit, nothing like that. <laughs> Straight up. But we've gone to elaborate measures of making moonshine in prison. Matter of fact, I blew up a little still. This was in Gainesville, actually. And uh, <clears throat> so we have what they call a chiller coil, right? And where you collect the steam that comes up, right? It'll collect it. And then it will chill it and it will send it through a coil and then it'll come out through another end, right? And that's supposed to be the pure alcohol. But you got to have a candle, right? Which is uh, grease from the kitchen with toilet paper, like a cone inside of like a Coca-Cola can that's been cut in half. And that's your candle, your wick, essentially. That's underneath this can of wine, right? The Red Rooster. And, but that vapor, that pure alcohol vapor is very, very flammable. And I don't know what the flash point is, but it doesn't seem to be that hot because this shit went poof, <laughs> three foot high, right? And we're like, my buddy, we're like looking over the edge of the stall, like, hell yeah, we're doing this. And then it went, <laughs> oh shit, we're not doing this though. <laughs> you know, there was other methods of doing it. You'll put like uh, candy inside your mix to give it a certain flavor. Or you can use like orange juice, pineapple juice, you know, but for the most part, the red rooster is the go-to tomato paste. Mm. Necessity is the mother of all innovation, I suppose, huh? Well, it's not Bud Light. I can tell you that. Mm. <laughs> they have hurt. They are hurting, man. Yeah. Surpassed them as being the number one beer sold. I mean, it's owned by the same company, so... <laughs> Yeah, Modelo is owned by Anheuser Busch, so they're profiting still. 
But Bud Light's its own division, so it's still, like, there's a president of Bud Light, so it's its own thing, technically. But conglomerate still owns it. (laughs) Yeah, either way, they're they're just waiting on time. They're waiting for time to heal that wound. They're like, hey, we need, uh, we just need something to happen for us to just let this mosey on down the river. Just... Let's kill this. I don't know. <laughs> That's going to be tough for that That's one. It's going to be a tough one. So uh, one of the things that seems like got you through a lot of the thick of it in prison and now is fitness, right? Mm-hmm. Is that is that fair to say? Yeah, man, absolutely. So in prison, I ran wellness, uh, ran wellness classes. I ran boot camp classes <clears throat> on the uh, rec yard. And it's just a real interesting thing to see, you know, because at this time, you got to remember, um, I was a head of a white supremacist organization while in prison. And it's a political organization more so than anything. And when you're hosting a rec class that's open to any and all, right? It's a chance for individuals to bond together outside the scope of war, drugs, political, um, you know, race or creed. Guys can actually come together and work out. But when we get done working out, <laughs> that shit's over with, right? It's, it's insane. It's almost like a, a light switch has been flipped and you're back to living back in prison reality now. But yeah, fitness, you know, I, I noticed at a very early age being in prison that being on the rec yard, being seen on the rec yard, being seen on the rec yard while working out was beneficial that it garnered respect, right? And it also was a place for you to develop um, your grit and other skills that are needed to get you through being in prison, whether it be fighting, uh, just protecting yourself, or just muscling your way through prison. You can only get by so far with your mouth. Eventually, you're going to have to show up, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I noticed for me, by being a part of fitness, right, you grow, you you strengthen your body, you strengthen your mind, strengthen your emotional capacity to deal with shit. And and it's just an avenue to get rid of a lot of aggression and pent up uh, resentment and bitterness that I had for for everybody else because I wouldn't own up to my own shit. So that was fitness inside inside the wire fitness on outside of the wire allowed me to meet people who were trying to do something with their lives. Also, it also allowed me to get rid of pent up aggression that I was having because I felt so far behind the eight ball and so far behind where I felt like I should be at. Right. And so there was a lot of aggression within toward myself. Like I was really pissed off at me about the decisions and choices that I've made. And I remember getting out of prison, still being associated with this. Dude, what the hell are you doing? Right? Mm. Well, if I'm going to be part of this organization, I'm going to try to lead it in the right direction, which is why I instituted for the South Florida was you had to have a job. You had to be part of your family's life in some aspect, no drugs. I really didn't even like guys partaking in alcohol, but there was nothing I could do about that. And you had to pay your dues, financial dues, and you had to show up to our meetings. And it was difficult and 
trying to maintain that lifestyle as well as, you know, my outside of that organization lifestyle also. More so in that I was beginning to surround myself around people because I lived in South Florida with, especially in the fitness industry, with Hispanics and with Blacks, a lot of them, right? And I was like, man, these people are really cool. And they're supporting my journey and who I am as a person, even though they know that I'm part of this organization. They keep telling me, they're like, man, that's not you, man. I see that's not you. Mm. But finally it clicked. And I was like, it's not me. No matter how hard I try to revamp this organization to become not a, a white supremacist organization, but more so of a brotherhood with principles, morals, and ethics that anybody could stand behind, it, it was just time for me to renounce my affiliation and move on with my own life. So I don't believe we even talked about this last time, but um, so I butted heads with the with the um, with the president of the organization on several occasions. Um, there was a hit put out on me. Found out they had a council going on in Wesley Chapel. I drove over there by myself. Let's just say that nothing occurred. Nothing happened, right? And I'm still standing here today. And uh, and I'm grateful that I am standing here. And fitness. I truly believe that those guys did not want beef with me because of my high level of fitness. And at that time I was training in Muay Thai kickboxing and I had participated in a couple underground bare knuckle fights. And I really believe that had I not done that, then yeah, there would have definitely been beef, but it's just so interesting how fitness has protected me. And even more so, you know, I say fitness, but I really know that, you know, because now I'm a new believer in Christianity, right? And I really truly believe that God has put his protective hand over me and he used fitness as a tool for me. And I truly believe that, you know? Yeah, it seems like fitness has played an integral role in you wanting to extend that bridge to others as well. Right, I know how important faith is for you, but uh, it all, and it also seems that um, fitness is just a universal language that you're using to inspire others, especially young men. Mm-hmm. That's something we were talking about um, before we came on, on the podcast. So, like, what are some of the some of the transformations you've seen, or what are some of the the messages that you've received from putting yourself out there? Because I know in the beginning it wasn't wasn't the easiest thing in the world for you to figure out technology you know you didn't have uh a lot of technology locked up you you did have access to a smartphone which is some something funny we could share with people later but um yeah well, what's that journey been like sharing fitness with others and, and being vulnerable online it has been for me personally <clears throat> it's probably one of the been one of the most fulfilling things that i've ever experienced is by me just sharing my story on TikTok, Instagram, Facebook, the messages that I receive, and it's mainly from guys that are from the ages of like 18 to 25. There are some guys that are outside of that age group that are, you know, guys my age who have been through similar situations who all talk about, I'm an inspiration, that, you know, because of me that they've decided to quit drinking, quit smoking pot, quit dipping, start a fitness program, start a nutritional plan, 
become a better person for their family, a better man. And, and it blows me away because I had, you know, I've had quite a few people tell me they're like, your message is too harsh. It's too aggressive. The profanity is out of control and you need to tone it down. That's not who you really are, but it comes so natural for me. <laughs> and Brandon, though, is not the person that I want to be. You know, I want to have more self-control when it comes to uh, vulgar language, you know, but I get hyped up when I'm putting my message out there and my message surrounds us as men not being bitches to our vices, not being controlled by our vices. I, I honestly feel like I'm a bitch at times when I succumb to a vice that I know I'm not supposed to partake in, right? Like I'm a bitch. My family deserves better. That's my message, you know? And so it's so fulfilling to hear people actually take that message. It resonates with them and they make a change in their life because of it. Regardless if that change doesn't become a lifestyle forever, nevertheless, it was a change in a moment in their life. And to me, that's, that's priceless, man. To go from where I was to who I am now. Man, I'm pretty excited, you know. If I wasn't receiving those messages, I wouldn't I wouldn't concern myself with doing this anymore. Because I don't make a dime doing it. I get more from those messages that I receive on a daily basis of guys reaching out. And it blows me away, man. It really does. And I'm grateful for it. Those people that are getting upset about the the bad language, it's like they're just nitpicking, trying to find something, you know, to nitpick about. Every motivational person I've ever met that's successful and come out of some bullshit, they all curse. What what else do you want from me? I'm, I'm sharing all this stuff that I've overcome with you. I had to tell myself I'm a bitch to overcome it, so I'm going to tell you about that. Yeah. If you don't like it, go find somebody else. Sorry, like, but... You know, I, really, I don't see why why that's an issue. Yeah. I love how you put that. I never thought about that. You know, that's what I did for me. I called myself. Mm-hmm. So I figured yeah. it might work for you also. I tell you what blew me away is when I heard a uh, heard an interview with Tony Robbins. And like he dropped the F-bomb at least a dozen times. And I was like, where's this? They all do. All the big guys do. David Goggins, for sure. <laughs> Look him up. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so... Uh, so yeah, man. And and how are you feeling? You know, since you've given a lot, I, I'd like to know kind of because you did give all that stuff up, most of that stuff up, right? You you mentioned the dipping recently, so you gave most of that stuff up, and, and then get focused on your fitness, and then you were doing like the trend more, and then you gave the trend up. You know, I'd like to understand because I'm sure you felt better after giving up the alcohol and the drugs, and then you move over to trend. A lot of people would think that's still pretty being fit, taking that stuff. It's really not, depending on your situation. But And then you gave that up, and then you had to – that's a whole nother feeling of getting fit or feeling cleaner, I guess. Like, I'm curious what that journey was like. Oh, it's insane. So when you're using certain chemical compounds, such as like Trimbalone, right, you feel like a god. I'm not even going to sit here and, and, and sugarcoat it whatsoever. The person you feel like – at your optimal natural level, multiply that times a hundred, and that's who you are running trend. It ain't no bullshit, man. And it's like a miracle sauce. It really is. And I tell you what, coming off of it, 
you feel like a bitch, but you know that you're, you're doing the right thing. Because one, you're going to destroy your relationship, guaranteed. If you work for somebody, you're going to destroy that relationship too, guaranteed. And any other relationship that doesn't know that you're using that type of chemical compound and doesn't forgive you and give you grace for it, you're going to ruin that relationship too. And uh, so, yeah, so that's why I've been in a relationship for over a year now. Because <laughs> I'm not using <laughs> It's worked out. <laughs> yeah. I think another interesting thing to kind of like point back to is um, I'm just picking up on this as as we're kind of digging into different topics is the theme of you calling yourself out, accepting responsibility. That was something I remember visiting you in prison and uh, hearing the pain that you were going through. Cause at that time, you know, I'm, I'm digging into personal growth. I'm going to conferences and, um, learning from thought leaders, et cetera. And I think in self-development, the theme is accepting your shit, right? Calling yourself out, looking for your blind spots and growing up, you were always a role model for me because you gave me your car, right? You were the one that always pushed me, believed in me. But it would call me the fuck out. You're the one that taught me how to be a man because I was really soft, you know, and it, living at mom's didn't really have the male figure in my life until you got out of prison for a good stint. Um, to, it, it was what, three years, <laughs> yeah. four years. Hey, yeah, yeah. Something like that. Yeah. Yeah, because it was it was about the age from thirteen to seventeen or, or fourteen to eighteen, something like that. Really pivotal years in my life. Mm-hmm. And then going back and visiting you in prison as as a young man myself, I could see the pain that your childhood growing up with our father had caused you. And it was like very outward deflection kind of devices, right? Like uh, you were looking for ways to try and cope and none of it was really working. And that, and there's just a cycle repeating and I could hear the pain but at some point it, it started to turn and, and I've noticed this in your journey that now there's this theme of accepting of calling yourself out looking for your own blind spots and we had a conversation one time you got really emotional and I, I think I don't think you'd mind me sharing this but you got really emotional and I had to reflect back to you that you'd stunted all of those years of understanding emotions, you'd push emotions away for so long that you'd, you'd kind of regressed. You didn't know, like the average person that's not going to prison, having to fight like a pit bull, fight like a pit bull just to survive. They're going to just be working through different scenarios in life and, and coping with whatever they cope with. But I'm noticing now that it seems like the theme is instead of looking for ways out, you're looking for ways in. You're trying to understand yourself more and doing something about it and so i don't know if there's a a question in there per se more of a reflection but if any thoughts come up for you around that and um how you found yourself in a position where you were willing to call yourself out you're willing to accept like humbly where your blind spots were what what helps you on that path Oh, I don't know exactly what moment there was, but I will tell you what I wrote down today. And that is, there has never been a man, nor will there ever be a great man who has never had a weakness, who has never not had a weakness, right? And so that 
all men have weaknesses, right? In the Bible, it talks about when you confess your weakness to your brother, then you can begin to heal. The Bible, right? The Bible tells us that, you know? You mentioned something about blind spots, right? And I got that written over here on my board right here. It's underneath coaching. Coaching myself right now. I'm in the middle of coaching me before I can begin coaching others. And I think one of the biggest things that coaching offers, and that's me, like you said, looking within from an external source, right? Me not being who I really am. Me looking at myself, my life, my behaviors objectively is like looking at my blind spots, the things that I can't see from my own vision. It's like me having an outer body experience, looking at my life, looking at my behaviors, looking at what I do, me reflecting on my day-to-day -day behaviors and my acts and what goes on is me being my own coach and looking at those blind spots. I've become very, very good at reflecting and doing, uh, doing it objectively, like call your shit out for what it really is, you know? And I know people would say that you're going to be biased to one way or another. I, I agree with that. I do, right? But I'm pretty sold on the fact that I know which direction I want to go. I don't need somebody else telling me where I need to go and how to get there, right? I actually have a vision in my head. I've got it on paper. I've got a goal. I've got a plan now. And so I don't feel like anybody else is more capable than me to tell me how I should be or where I should be at or, or the direction I should go unless they're already at that place that I want to be, right? And uh, so it's interesting because, you know, both of y'all have played in the, in the industry of coaching. You know, you've been coached or you have offered coaching to others, and I've yet to enter into that realm. And uh, it's interesting to know, like tomorrow I have my first interview with uh, with an online fitness coach and and their brand, you know, and uh, so I'm so I'm excited about that. So I feel as though that in order for me to help others achieve that which they thought was impossible, I have to be real with myself first, right? And realizing that imposter syndrome is something that we place upon ourselves through self limiting beliefs. Right. I'm not going to sit here and tell myself that I am a millionaire because I'm not. <laughs> I'm not a millionaire. Right now. But can I attain that? Absolutely. 100% I can. Am I going to? 100% I can. Is that what I'm setting out to do? Absolutely not. That is not my purpose to make 100 hundred. Uh, my purpose is not to make a million dollars. My purpose is to make an impact on as many people as I can in a positive, influential manner. That's my purpose, dude. That's what I want to do. And if I make a shit ton of money in doing so, <laughs> I'm all for that. <laughs> you know? Yeah, money don't hurt. No. Money don't hurt. That's for sure. Good. Refer this book right here. It's called The Go-Giver. Go-Giver? Have y'all ever heard of this book? I've read it. It's a good book. Have you read it? <laughs> Man. Yeah, it's a good book. Just like the third time I've read it. Yeah. In like the last two weeks. I can't put it down, man. 
And what's interesting, I've never, I've only read national bestsellers. I never knew there was a such thing as a global bestseller. And after reading, oh, yeah. I understand why. Man, it's interesting. How have I not heard of this book, fellas? What do y'all? I don't know how you, it's like number one in sales. <laughs> one of the number one sales books out there. Who's it by? Uh, Adam Berg and Bob Berg and John David Mann. It's been around for a while. Yeah. Okay. Oh, it really yeah. talks about just like, Give. you know, you're, if you're, it talks about giving, like if you want to receive, you need to put stuff out there. You need to help other people out in order to get back what you're the looking more for. Will you help the more people, the more people you help, the more you can receive. Mm-hmm. 4.8 stars out of five, 8,500 reviews. I would say that's a uh, pretty strong, yeah, man. pretty strong recommendation there. Yes, it is. What a perfect time for you to read that book too. Well, you said three times, but what a perfect time right now to be reading that book too. Cause you're, you've got things in line. Now you're like, okay, now how do I focus this to keep straight, to get a return, but also help as many people as I can. Well, what a perfect you said time. The time and, and, and so there's another phrase for it. It's called divine flow. Yeah. 100% divine flow. And so there's two, you know, there's two phrases in Christian, in the Christian world, right? That be faithful and obedient, right? And if you're two, though, if you're doing those two things, if you're being faithful and obedient, right? God will grant you the desires of your heart. And to be honest with you, like I said, man, I just want to help other people. That's what mm-hmm. I'm about my fulfillment, you know. And um, and it's happening, you know, no doubt about it. What's got you wanting to help other people? I mean, it, I mean that might sound like a redundant kind of question, but it would seem as a man that's looking to just kind of build himself back, right? Like make up for lost time, so to speak. Or, um, you know, there's a lot of phrases that come to mind there. But what's got you wanting to reach out and help others when I think a lot of people would just be so focused on catching up because you, you did the air quotes on on making up for time earlier. Right. So it, it would seem like that is kind of uh, counterintuitive that you're expending a lot of energy helping others versus just totally focusing on yourself. So I will give credit to a gentleman named Randy Skinner for this one right here. <clears throat> He's uh, my spiritual mentor. Right? I could not give you the answer to this. What I could give you an answer for is, I've always wanted to help people, right? Or I've always wanted to be influential. Let me let me rephrase that. I've always wanted to be influential. You know, I remember back in 2004, sitting in prison, reading The Giant Within by Tony Robbins. Hell yeah. I want, I want a piece of this right here. Not knowing that there was money to be made in that industry, I just wanted to be influential, you know? And I just... Over the course of the years, it made me feel powerful to influence other people to be something that they currently were not, whether it be like um, helping them achieve their GED. Like, I can't tell you how many people I've taught how to learn, learn how to read in prison. Grown ass men not even knowing how to fill out an envelope, read a letter from their mother. Right. And. 
you just receive something of there's there's a level of fulfillment that you receive when you teach someone how to read a letter from a loved one and watch the tears from a grown man's eyes who is in prison for the rest of their life for first degree murder. Right? A killer, straight killer, right? Watching this dude cry because he just read a letter from his mom saying that his brother died, his sister got kicked out of the house, and his mom's on her last leg also. And he's crying because he's able to read a letter like that, right? And you're like, damn, he's probably going to go kill somebody else now. But that's not the case. You know, he's just... So there, it's hard to explain that type of fulfillment you get from that. I mean, there's not a dollar bill out there that's big enough that could, that could compare to that. And so I remember being achieving respect and power the higher up in ranking that I got with this organization. And so I would make plays or I would call plays and people are doing things that I request them to do, right? But they were doing that out of obligation more so than, than admiration, you know? And, and I noticed that there wasn't as much fulfillment in that. Okay. And so here it is. I'm influencing these people to become something of the dark instead of something of the light. Now, I've come to realize that influencing people to achieve that which they thought was impossible in a positive manner is so much more fulfilling than playing with the dark side, man. Absolutely. Because people smile when they achieve something they never thought they could. But when people do something that they have a conviction about later on and you influence them to do that, you can feel the bitterness and the resentment that come off of them even when they walk past you. Especially when they're in cuffs because they done got caught doing what they weren't supposed to do and you were the one that made that call. You know, you can feel that coming off of them. So Randy Skinner explained something to me a couple weeks back because I like to do and do and do and do and do and do for others, right? And at times I feel empty. And he explained to me, you have to fill your cup up first. You have to fill it up so much that it overflows into everyone else's cups. And that's how you fill their cups. And I was like, oh, shit. <laughs> this is my spiritual mentor, you know? And I was like, man, let's pray for that. <laughs> you know, he's like, let's pray. <laughs> Amen. Amen. <laughs> and it's still a concept that I'm still learning how to utilize, though, you know, because I still have that. That behavior of jump now, like you need something, I'll do it right now, you know, versus having to really focus and concentrate on filling my cup up. It's such a delicate balance, especially when, you know, you're living amongst a family with kids. You're trying to run your own business. You're trying to maintain your, 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 your personal life while at the same time grow in the social life you know it's just it's a delicate balance it really is absolutely what fills your cup interesting enough what fills my cup you know because it's not alcohol no it's not don't pour alcohol in my cup anymore there captain red solo cup. yeah uh i tell you what Dips for the longest i felt very uncomfortable talking about my achievements but what I've, what I've come to understand now is by me recognizing that they are achievements, 
that other people can achieve also. So the more that I achieve, the more I'm able to funnel in to other people for hope, right? That fills my cup. So I, I got to realize, okay, if I want to continue filling other people's cups, that means I got to continue achieving shit that other people didn't think was possible out of me, right? Mm. So I hate to say this, man, but you know what fills my cup is doing shit that other people don't think I can do. You know, mm. you doubt me? Good. That's fuel for my fire. I need that. I do, you know, and uh, knowing that people are relying on me also fills my cup, you know, for once in my life, I feel like I can be trusted. I can be expected to do the best that I can. They can expect me to be punctual. I'm showing up on time, if not 15 minutes early. Those things fill my cup. So I guess being a man of principle and integrity fills my cup, you know? And being a man of integrity is an everyday practice. So I can say I'm a man of integrity today, but was I yesterday? You know, I can't answer that right now while we're doing this because I don't remember, but, and it doesn't matter what happened yesterday. It's about what happens today. What am I going to do about it tomorrow? So forth, you know? So, you know, I've never really asked myself what fills my cup. But if I had to answer that question, it would be being a man of integrity fills my cup. Very hmm. deep. Well, I see both of y'all over here doing this little head nod. <laughs> well, because I we agree, you know, I think yeah. like that's that's totally true. I if uh that one down, man. I got it right that one down. What fills my cup? Yeah, what what fills your cup? Because I something that I've found myself in uh, in a trap and a, a pat like a repeated pattern is looking in the rearview mirror more from achievement than self sabotage, and that stacking of achievements and looking back at that creating this uh, emptiness, this this void of expectation. So it's really interesting for you that it, it fuels you. Whereas for me, I have to let go of it. I have to let go of, you know, what other people think, what I think altogether and uh, move into a place where I'm not looking at what I've done in the past, but focusing on today, yeah. right? Like yesterday doesn't matter. Focus on being a man of integrity today, following through today, achieving today. So, you know, I, I heard Jocko say one time, like, what you did yesterday doesn't matter. The scorecard is zero today, right? Yeah. I honestly think that's bullshit. I think it does matter what you did yesterday and the day before and the day before. Those are almost like benchmarks to what you can do better the next day and the next day. How do you become 1% better every day if you don't remember what you did yesterday or you don't use it as a benchmark, you know? Mm. And so... I'm not calling, I can see how that would be applicable to a motivational sense. Like, you know, don't use yesterday as a, as a, as a standing board, right. Of what you've done. Meaning like you still have to prove yourself every single day. That's what that scorecard zero means. Every day you yeah. still have to prove yourself, but being able to use that, which you've accomplished as as a platform for what other people can accomplish also that have been in your situation, in your scenario, I believe it is, it, is beneficial. 
to utilize mm -hmm. versus saying it doesn't mean shit. <laughs> it certainly means something to somebody out there who needs it, you know? Yeah. I mean, it is important. Like, you know, we don't want to hear from keynote speakers like Dylan. Can you imagine showing up to a conference and they're like, here's Billy Bob. He's a dude that does stuff. You know, like you gotta have, yeah. you gotta have a resume. How do, get, how do we get here? Why are you up? Why am I having to listen to you right, right now? You know, Billy Bob's like, don't matter, boys, girls, just listen. I'm here now, if not, and it's if all nothing, matters. if it never mattered for yesterday, what matters? Why you're up there? Then I don't care now. Yeah, <laughs> I think that might be when he's referencing that. That could be referencing to like, I don't know. I'll I'll I'll, I'll use like an alcoholic as an example. They keep going back to it. And it's like, hey, just forget about yesterday. Doesn't matter now. It just matters what you got going forward. But someone that's trying to like build a career, you know, it, you have to learn something every day. You have to remember what you've learned. You have to learn, you know, whether it be a skill you've picked up or a conversation, business acumen, acumen, you know, whatever it is. I, I think I think they have two different reasons why, yeah. you know, whether forgetting it or whether to learn. Right? Like, I forget what I learned. I if I got good advice from somebody, I want to retain that. And that, that, that's the funny thing about personal development. It, it's kind of finicky in the, the, um, the, the, the phrase that comes to mind is a house of a thousand mirrors, you know, whatever mirror you're looking in or the belief that you're holding is the one that's going to serve you, whether it's for mm -hmm. a good service or a bad. So like the thought leaders in personal development space all have conflicting views, right? You know, David Goggins grind and doesn't matter how much pain you're getting grind until is very different than uh let's say a tim ferris four-hour work week optimizing with leverage right but i was thinking about that earlier because i you know listening to your story you come from prison and then you have this success coming out you've taken control of your life and now you've gotten to where you're at that's a different completely success story from how david goggins went through or tim ferris they came from their own personal lives and you know david goggins was just a big fat fucker figured out he's a piece of shit and then was like i have to figure out my life and get better then that, that's how he did it tim ferris just realized like oh i want to hone in on brain power how can i focus in on more of life in order to become stronger and then that's how he did it. and i think everybody has their own story and it becomes more relatable right like not everyone's going to relate to you uh, Max, when about from your point of view on things like these people that are like, oh, why are you cussing? That's not you. Like, fuck you. That is me. I came from a pretty hard goddamn background to get to where I'm at. If I'm just cursing, I've given up all these other things. Either you accept me or you don't. But, you know, where I've gotten to now, this is the should be the least of your concern if you're trying to learn from me. Yeah. Whereas like if I, if someone's like a Christian and, and they're becoming up from the Jesus background and now they want to be the best pastor in the world. Sure. Maybe that guy shouldn't be cussing as much, but you know, or, with someone like you or, or short be, I don't give a shit. I'll go to that guy's <laughs> over the other one, but, but like David Goggins, the way he preaches it, you preaches it. Everyone has their own background of how they've become successful. I mean, look at, I mean, yeah, everyone gives Jeff Bezos shit because he, he, has a different background than how he became successful, but he still worked his ass off. You know, even though he got a good loan from his parents, he didn't use it unwisely. He sure as hell used that wisely to get to where he's at today and worked his ass off. But he has a different story of how he became successful. So I don't know that, that when, when I think a lot of people, when they shit on other people of how they came to success, I, I just think that, Oh, you just haven't come across someone that relates more to your background where you need to get to. Yeah. 
Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, it's it's stages in life, right? And I think that's one of the cool things about running this podcast back is that, um, you know, the first time we had you on, Cal, it was all kind of like funny stories and, uh, you know, looking back at the past and you just taking a moment to reflect on, holy shit, I really did that. And now I'm wanting to move in a direction where I'm not forgetting, but I'm looking forward to what's coming and where you're at now. Uh, one of the things I wrote down from what you were uh, riffing earlier is I thought it was super ironic. You were reading all these personal development books in prison because, you know, we'd be writing letters back and forth and you'd be like, oh, I read this book or read that book. Or when it, one of the times we picked you up from prison, you had a fucking whole stack of journals from all the books you'd read yeah. and that's cool none of it made a fucking difference because you ended up right back in prison yeah. so there wasn't an application of that information until there was until there was right you were still stacking up the information and now it seems like the pivotal pivotal turning point's been the, the application of that information turning it into knowledge turning it into experience you know you hear the, the phrase used all the time like knowledge is power and we all know that's bullshit without the application of it right? without the application you have as much data as you want but if you're sitting on your heels nothing's going to come of it i heard something the other day and that's when planning becomes more like procrastination now you've got a problem right and, and i think that's what it really boiled down to is that I, that whole time that i was just consuming all of this data consuming all of these these golden nuggets and journaling them and writing them down in my composition notebooks that I was never applying them. No, but I can honestly say that I didn't have the environment to apply it in. As soon as I got out of prison, I would surround myself around the same people I was around before doing the same shit I was doing before. That's not a good place for personal development. <laughs> Yeah, you don't think? <laughs> the trap has the ball, clubs. You're not going to find a lot of Stephen Covey fans in there, you know? People that are talking about four-hour work week with Tim Ferriss and shit. You know, they're not. You know, they're more concerned about the four-day meth week, you know? Like, we've been up <laughs> But you were probably, you know... You come out, you had that advice, you couldn't apply it, but you probably passed on a lot of that good info over to Colton. So, you know, you come out. I'll tell you what's interesting, Mike, is that the people who were back in the same circle knew me in prison also. We were all in prison together. Mm -hmm. They would all talk shit about me absorbing all of this information. Right? Oh, you're reading self-help books, personal. We didn't even call it personal development back then. It was self-help books. And, uh, and I just remember people making fun of me for this shit. You know, and now looking back, right, all of those people that were making fun of me, except one, right, except one, all have 20 plus years that they're doing right now in prison. Every single one that comes to mind, all have 20 plus years in prison. Right up. Anyone that makes fun of you for self-help book. Yeah, they're not fun. They're not the greatest thing to read, but goddamn, when you need it, they do help sometimes. <laughs> no shit, right? So yeah. anyone that makes fun of you for listening to reading a self-help book, that's an easy, if you're trying to look for people to cut out of your life, that's <laughs> yeah. an easy one right yeah. there. You can go ahead and cut them out. So, <laughs> interesting to note though, because like when you're in prison, 
when you read material like that, that, that sort of signifies that this is a guy who needs help, right? He doesn't have that, that line within. Mm, right? Yeah, it's not a, a, a masculine thing to do, I guess. No, it's one of those books that yeah. you put behind your pillow while you have your pillow up while you're reading it. It mm, yeah. with me for a long time. And then something snapped within me also. And like I remember saying some of the wisdom that I would read out of these books. And people would actually like get shut down. They didn't know how to respond. They're like, holy shit, that makes a lot of sense. And then Mm -hmm. it was crazy because I began to apply it in prison, right? Forming my own circle, becoming an influence to others, helping people get their GED, rekindle relationships with their family, um, having people get into like self-help groups that were offered through like a chapel or through other outside uh, vendors that would come in. And uh, we had this one group, it was called the Toastmasters. It was put on mm-hmm. called um, the Gavel Club. It was put on by Toastmasters, right? A public speaking forum. And I became president of that. I had all of my homeboys who called it the Faggle Club, not the Gavel Club, right? And- <laughs> You know, what's interesting, right, is these guys, right, now, today, tell me, they're like, dude, we wish we would have joined that with you. I can't tell you how many times I've needed to do a a, uh, a, a presentation for the job that I now have, right, whether they'd be like a safety superintendent for a construction company now. They're like, we could have benefited so much from participating in that. And, um, you know, and I laugh at them, you know. And so I just highly encourage anybody who's listening right now, man, take every opportunity you can to learn as much as you can about speaking, becoming a person of influence and personal development, finding out who you are inside, how to become a better person, what your virtues, morals, principles, and ethics and values are, especially what are your values? You know, they say that that what you spend your money on is what you truly value, right? My, no shit. Mm-hmm. So when's the last time you bought fast food, Colton? What's today? <laughs> Today's Wednesday, so Sunday. <laughs> yeah. No. We had a rough, rough Saturday, and so uh, it was a great Saturday. It was a rough Sunday, so that's when that's that's when you go to Pete Tires. You got a <laughs> you got a big event coming up, don't you? Yeah. Which one? <laughs> event. Yeah, we got the bachelor party in Vegas and then uh, going to Denver for psychedelic science. No shit. So when is the the world's huh? When is the Vegas club going on? Uh, it's the fifteenth, right, Dylan? Yeah, June fifteenth through the seventeenth. Dylan, 15th. are you not participating in the uh, the most fit? Uh, the most fit? Well, I mean, I just can't, got a knee surgery, so I'm recovering from that, and then get right back into jujitsu. That's my goal at the moment. And and I was powerlifting before this, then had a heavy drinking night and fucked up my knee. Yeah. So talking about, yeah, I, 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 did, I did massive squats at deadlifts one day, and I was like, I'm the fucking man. Yeah. And then I went out drinking and fucked up my knee. And he so, just forgot the, the trend. The, the trend I forgot the trend and that I'm 30 years old, you know? Yeah. <laughs> but you know what's funny is that, like, I don't, I don't regret quitting drinking, right? 
always regret drinking. Almost every single time, right? You know, I, don't, I haven't woken up with a hangover since I quit drinking. Ain't that fucking hilarious? That's, that's, that's weird shit, isn't it? But uh, also, it's like, yeah. I feel called out. Yeah, it's like, if you weren't drinking that night, you tortured me. Do you think you still would have tortured me? Oh, if I would no, I would have torn my knee at all that night. If I no, for sure not, for sure not. Wouldn't have fucked up my knee. Past two times I fucked up my knee, I was heavy drinking, for sure. Yeah, yeah. It's just it. It was actually that night though. I did. I haven't stopped drinking, but I for sure that was like a lesson learned to cut back on on my intake a hundred percent. Yeah, I've cut down a lot on my beer intake and drinking and everything. So that was my moment. I'll tell you what. <laughs> I was and like, it these, comes full circle. These surgeries are getting expensive. Yeah, man. <laughs> you get good painkillers, though. I'll tell you that. Yeah. <laughs> so, so I signed up for jujitsu, and I've done two classes now. I injured my back last week doing the dumbest shit, you know. So, like, on some of my TikToks, I promote blue-collar workouts on the job. Yeah. I, Dumbass, we're putting up a pole barn. We got six by sixes in the ground. We got some two by six tacked up just so it doesn't rack, you know, left and right. My buddy across on the other side jumps up and starts doing pull ups. He's like 165 pounds. I'm like, shit, I'm fixing a rep out too. <laughs> I jump out there, right? And I start putting my legs up. And when I do, I end up on the ground, knocked out, two by six. Oh. My head. There's some blocks underneath me and some asphalt we chunked up. Landed across the bridge, my back. So I remember rolling over on my knees and just being like, "What the hell just happened?" God damn! I yeah. Breathe. Couldn't open my chest up. I'm like, Shit! And the pain just kept getting worse and worse and worse. I finished out the day. It's like five days ago. I can barely lift my arms up still. Yeah, I didn't. Yeah, that's a longer recovery time right there. I could have broke something. Might be broke back there. I don't know. Yeah, muscles holding together. <laughs> a little shot of whiskey. Yeah. Oh. You'll be fine. Bring it right back. <laughs> well, let's uh, well, let's bring it home, Cal. I want to make sure I clean up this audio. Um, Cal, before we get you out of here, one last question. What is something that you wished more people asked you about? What I wish more people would ask me about? That's the best reaction I've ever seen to that question. <laughs> oh, ask me about my faith, my undeniable, indescribable faith that I have in Jesus Christ now. I wish more people would ask me about that. Well, there you have it, folks. So if people do want to ask you about your faith or just look at your ridiculous body, where can they find you? TikTok, fitness over addiction, or Instagram, MaxStrong21. Same thing on Facebook, MaxStrong. Beautiful. No. Well, thank you for joining us, brother. Don't forget to hang out for a second. That's right. uh, but everybody out there listening, if this episode was helpful for you, please share it with someone that you think it might be helpful for. What helps us is you leaving a review. If you're on Spotify or Apple, that's clicking the star thing. 
uh, subscribe will pop up on your algorithm more often, but it also lets us know that you like us and we like that. So Dylan, anything else? Peace. All right. Bye guys. Till next time.